1: Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com.
2: Glenn Beck, The Blaze Radio Network.
1: Franklin Delano Roosevelt is often mentioned by historians as not just one of the greatest presidents in U.S. history, but the greatest president. These infatuated progressive scholars credit him with ending the Great Depression. His New Deal government programs, even though the Depression didn't end until American manufacturing, finally kick-started the economy enough to negate the damage done by these massive government programs midway through World War II. These scholars also ignore FDR's internment of well over 100,000 Japanese Americans. Just as his progressive hero Woodrow Wilson had done with Germans and Italians during the First World War, simply because of their ancestry. Americans, like four-year-old future Star Trek actor George Takai and his family.
2: I was uh, four at the time of uh, Pearl Harbor, and I was too young to really understand what was going on. But I still do remember that day uh, when uh, armed soldiers, soldiers with guns, bayonets on them, came to our home to order us out. I remember that as... A very scary day. And you know, a child can sense your parents' anxieties. And we were taken from our home to um, a horse table in uh, uh, at uh, San Anita Racetrack, where we were housed for a few months uh, while the camps were being built. And uh, when the camp was built, we were put on a train and taken all the way across the uh, southwestern desert to the swamps of Arkansas, a camp called Roller. And I grew up uh, there for a portion of the war and then we were transferred from that camp to another camp in northern california called to lake which was an even more uh, harsh uh, camp there were three barbed wire uh, three levels of barbed wire fence and tanks patrolling the peri- uh, perimeter
1: most of those taken from their homes never got them back the loss of liberty under fdr didn't stop there For starters, there was Roosevelt's illegal wiretapping. Under cover of war, the president authorized agents to bug the phones of not just aliens who threaten national security, but potential political enemies and even political friends. An FDR biography documentary tells part of this story.
3: In his zeal to uncover acts of espionage, Roosevelt faces a problem. Congress has banned wiretapping. And the Supreme Court has ruled that wiretaps are inadmissible in a court of law. In May of 1940, Roosevelt chooses a course that, if discovered, could destroy his presidency. He writes a confidential memo to Attorney General Robert Jackson, instructing him to use listening devices to monitor people suspected of subversive activities. His rationale is that the court ruling does not apply in grave matters involving the defense of the nation.
1: Roosevelt's spying targets included former President Herbert Hoover, 1940 Republican presidential opponent Wendell Wilkie, and critical journalists. FDR asked Treasury Secretary Morgenthau to run a tax audit on the New York Times, among the other IRS investigations FDR ordered on behalf of actual opponents. He also sicked the heads of various agencies including the FBI and the Department of Justice on several newspaper publishers in a failed witch hunt for evidence of Nazi ties. FDR's internment of almost 120,000 Japanese, most of whom were Americans, was particularly brazen. It violated the rights of habeas corpus, protection against search and seizure, and protection of property. But meanwhile, the Germans and Italians, the latter of whom consisted of 600,000 non-citizens, were never interned en masse. Roosevelt, however, was just following the progressive playbook, responding to his innate fear of people different from himself. Consistent with a progressive eugenicist who came before him and held disdain for inferior peoples, Roosevelt had historically argued that the Japanese immigrants were not able to assimilate on a biological basis. The Germans could be excused. Wilson had, after all, praised the Teutonic race, but not the Japanese. The distinction was made based purely on race. Roosevelt's irrational fear led to the rounding up unjust imprisonment of tens of thousands of loyal Americans who happen to come from a different background. This is the price of progressive fear in high places. As World War II wound towards its end in 1944, FDR proposed a second Bill of Rights. The first one was apparently insufficient for him. So that year's State of the Union address, he argued, true individual freedom cannot exist without economic security and independence. Necessitous men are not free men. People who are hungry and out of a job are the stuff of which dictatorships are made.
3: A second Bill of Rights, under which a new basis of security and prosperity can be established for all, regardless of station or race or creed, Among these are the right to a useful and remunerative job, the right to earn enough to provide adequate food and clothing and recreation, the right of every farmer to raise and sell his products at a return which will give him and his family a decent living, the right of every businessman, large and small, to trade in an atmosphere of freedom freedom from unfair competition and domination by monopolies at home or abroad, the right of every family to a decent home, the right to adequate medical care and the opportunity to achieve and enjoy good health, the right to adequate protection from the economic fears of old age, sickness, accident, and unemployment, the right
1: to fear. He may have originally claimed that all we have to fear was fear itself, but the reality was that he wanted Americans to fear a whole host of things, from Japanese Americans to those who didn't have enough to eat. Fear, after all, opened the door to all sorts of things that people wouldn't otherwise think possible. In addition to fear, Roosevelt appealed to the pride and patriotism, he noted that the nation must not be allowed to slide back into the 1920s normalcy. Were that to happen, he said, even though we shall have conquered our enemies on the battlefields abroad, we shall have yielded to the spirit of fascism here at home. In other words, FDR argued that if Americans let his wartime reforms go away, they might as well have just lost the war in the first place. It sounds incredible, but it is a strategy employed by progressives in government over and over again. Legislation during a crisis lives on like a cockroach, able to survive even in the worst of conditions. It was a crisis, after all, that gave birth to the Patriot Act, a law that continues to be used to invade Americans' privacy long after September 11, 2001. In FDR's Wartime America, Rights were to be granted no longer by our Creator, but the federal government. Security was now a trump to liberty. And if you disagreed with any of that, you were a Nazi, or at least someone who didn't care much about American values. Raymond Moley, a professor for Columbia and an economist, was a member of FDR's original brain trust that got him elected. He was a trusted presidential advisor and the author of most of FDR's first inaugural address. He was also a huge advocate for FDR's New Deal. But seeing its fruits, he quickly became disenchanted with those policies, even as early as 1933, even though he continued to write Roosevelt's speeches until 1936. Eventually, Moley broke completely with Roosevelt,
0: and in his 1952 book, wrote, It was no secret that a great number of reformers in Roosevelt's bureaucracy were admirers of the great Soviet experiment. And some were secret agents of communism. In my opinion, there is a greater danger in collectivists than in the betrayal of our secrets to foreign powers. The danger lies in what can be done to a nation by public officials who do not believe in a free economy. In Roosevelt's day, there were many people working for the government who regarded his reforms as a mere prelude to revolution. America has been fortunate to avoid such a fate so far. Roosevelt's revolution not only accomplished more than Wilson and the other progressives who came before him had ever dreamed possible, but it also set the stage for what was to come next. A new deal and a second Bill of Rights were terrific starts, but what America really needed was someone who could pull all of the disparate pieces together, someone who could appeal to all races and creeds and make Americans believe that they could achieve what no one before them had, that it was their duty to work towards something bigger than themselves, something he called a great society. Roosevelt's called for
1: progressive great society would be picked up and carried to the finish line by yet another American progressive. Two decades later. More on that in the next
0: episode. Want more serials? You can listen to every episode at glenbeck.com slash serials. Next week, you'll learn about Lyndon B. Johnson and his failed great society. Project X
1: Get moving at real estate agents I